0: it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott from the Fourth Trimester Podcast. Welcome back. We have a great episode for you today. I'm super excited because we have a great guest, Sharon Weinberg, who I'll introduce in a moment. I want to remind everyone before we get going that we have a website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. We're on Facebook. And we'd love to have your likes and have your followers. You can also sign up on our website for a newsletter. So please check us out and sign up. So Sharon Weinberg and I have worked together, and it is such a pleasure to be speaking with her today. She's an executive leadership, team performance, and business strategy coach. She is passionate about helping leaders, especially women leaders, Elevate their leadership impact to build strong teams, positive work cultures, to achieve better business results, and live with greater ease and fulfillment. Sharon, you have a wealth of experience. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Sarah. So nice to be in conversation with you again.
0: Sharon and I do work together, and we thought that it would be such a fantastic resource for our community here at Fourth Trimester to share some learnings around preparing for leave. And this is one of those topics that, you know, you think you, you know, you put your out of office on and you're ready, right? Uh <laughs> we're gonna walk through that. Maybe there's a little bit more. But I found that, you know, after talking to a number of, of friends and and other contacts, you know, there isn't a lot of professional guidance I think that is shared around going on a leave, whether it's maternity leave, paternity leave, maybe other types of leave, other than some of the actual facts that are coming from HR or your benefits companies around, you know, dates and limits and and laws and things like that. And, you know, we really want to see if we could add some finesse to create as smooth a leave as possible for everyone. And Sharon, I just want to start with just some high level background on you as well. So Uh, I want to talk about leave, but tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're excited about this topic.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, So I've been doing leadership and talent development for about 30 years. And for the last five years, I've had my own practice as a coach and consultant and professional facilitator. I've done a lot of work, been internal to organizations for what 25 years, small organizations, really big organizations. I've gone on two maternity leaves during that time. And I know that it's really challenging when you have, especially if you have a fairly high pressure job and a lot of responsibility to get everything ready before you go on leave um, and to be able to leave things in a way in which you're not having a whole series of calls afterwards or feeling completely like it's not completely ready for everybody else to step in. So my passion around doing this work with you and other moms who are going on leave and also some dads is to make it that transition from I'm at work and I'm not taking care of a young baby to one where there's an ease in taking that time off and knowing that things are left in good standing. And I would completely agree with you that I don't think businesses typically give guidance on really how to do this transition planning.
0: There's a few goals we've identified around going on a leave. So let's walk through those. So the three goals are one, Ensure you have fulfilled your professional responsibilities in handing over critical information to your colleagues, direct reports, and boss, right? So just what information do other people need to do the job while you're gone? Secondly, ensure you have enabled your colleagues, direct reports, and boss to be successful while you're out. Okay, that could mean a lot of things. And three, ensure you have created the necessary clarity and expectations and actions for the people covering you so that the strategic and operational efforts are not disrupted. Good goals. Yeah, I think we need to make sure those are all taken care of.
1: Yeah, and, and I think often that's not, um, you know, I think the work you and I did together around this was really, tra- I mean, it was transformational work from the standpoint of, I know it gave you clarity about what do I need to do before I leave? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes, uh, you know, the idea that people are just going to pick up the pieces is really a dangerous way (laughs) of leaving things. I mean, that happens sometimes because things are unexpected, but you really want to keep in mind whether you're coming back to this job or whether you're not about leaving things in a way in which there's not extra disruption that's happening because you're not there and somebody else or a team of people are is doing your work.
0: Even if you weren't returning, there's just a similar or same set of goals.
1: Absolutely. You know, the thing is, is that even if you, you're right, if you're not returning, it's your reputation. Mm-hmm. And you've also built relationships with these people. And so you don't really, to th- really think about, you know you've put the hard work in into building um, good relationships with these people and you've also developed a reputation within the organization based on your work you know if you're leaving on a on a maternity leave or even this would apply also if you have something like a planned medical leave or a sabbatical uh, or anything where there's you've had some time to plan the key here is is to not create chaos. And could somebody step in? The question to ask is, can somebody easily step in and keep the ball rolling and do what needs to get done in a way in which, yes, there may be some awkwardness initially, but not something in which suddenly there's major fractures in terms of operations or in terms of guidance of a team, or how a team is performing, or in terms of a leadership vacancy.
0: So let's say, hypothetically, we have a listener out there who's expecting, maybe it's their first child, they know they're gonna be going on leave, they have a rough, you know, they know their due date, so they know roundabout when they're gonna go, but um, maybe there's four months pregnant. When do you think is a good time to begin the planning process?
1: So once you let your employer know that you're pregnant uh, and that you will be going on leave, I think a a, a good place is to sort of start from the end in mind. And, you know, we never know with babies and with pregnancies, we have an expected due date, but who knows if that's actually going to occur on that date. It may in fact happen early, as often is the case. So I think from a sort of safety perspective, it can be wise to plan on having your transition planning done a month before your expected leave date. And I know that seems maybe far in advance, but we do know, in fact, you know, people have had babies come a month early, two months early even. And so, uh, or maybe you get put on bed rest, or something like that occurs. So the, the key here is not to leave it up to the last minute. So I would say back it up about if you assume that you want the transition plan and people knowledgeable about it a month before your actual due date, then you should in fact start the transition planning two months before that. So we're talking about at least three months.
0: And then maybe it's not even due date, it's just whenever you're going on leave. Right. Know a lot of people will also take a month off their final month of their pregnancy off to prepare exactly. uh, and rest. So, so it's kind of, so you're saying really three months before that leave date.
1: Exactly. And I think the reason why is that there's never any harm in being, uh, in doing the planning early. What ends up happening is when there's a plan to, you know, I'll make the transition one week before I'm going to leave and then suddenly uh, you have to move that up and you're not ready. You know, that's, that's an extra stress. You just don't need.
0: Yeah. Right. Being in the hospital and worrying about, right. (laughs) Right. Or being on bed rest or I I sure hope someone on my team knows X, Y, Z. Exactly. Okay. So we've identified, I think, four major steps in this process. So let's go ahead and walk through these. So the first step we have is identifying major projects and work streams. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, imagine that you have familiarity with what's on your plate. And, you know, if you're in a leadership position, there's major Functions that you're overseeing, or major initiatives or projects that you're overseeing. So, in fact, you can identify those into distinct chunks. Even your responsibilities, if you're overseeing a department, right, and there are sort of the, uh, you know, what I call the kitchen drawer of responsibilities, all the, some of the miscellaneous stuff that is associated with running a function or a department, that too can be put into the concept of a project. All of those things have to be covered. And so if, if you can break it into distinct chunks, it m- makes it much easier to delineate who actually is going to be responsible for it while you're on leave and what exactly they need to know and do.
0: And so, for example we could identify a handful of pieces of information for each area. So a, so if it's project-based work, for example, it could be the project title, the goals of the project, what are the timelines and dates for that project? So, you know, is there a project plan for it already? And making sure you have the information organized somewhere like a shared spreadsheet that can, has the links to the project plans or any relevant internal wiki pages, things that other teams might need.
1: Yeah. Who else is involved in the project? What are their roles? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what are their responsibilities? Um, if you have, for example, you know, a project where there may be many players, it might be worthwhile to even put together if you haven't already something like what's called a stakeholder matrix, which actually identifies who's involved uh, what their responsibilities are, what their contributions are, what their influence is. Um, and this is a way of helping somebody really get up to speed. And for all the people who all the other people who are involved on this project for you, with you, that you've taken away or removed the responsibility of having them, have to educate whoever is covering for you. They can actually move into a place of greater partnership rather than from a place of foundational information.
0: Brilliant. All right, so we have a list of of 10 chunks of responsibility, 10 projects. Now, what's next?
1: So identify the owners for each of the projects, right? It may not be one person, so uh, it could be that you're spreading it around. Let's say if you have a team, this can be actually a wonderful opportunity. If you're in a leadership role, this can be a wonderful opportunity for people who are at the individual contributor or staff level um, or team lead level to actually stretch into some new responsibilities. So it gives them uh sort of a defined window for, in fact, uh, building some core skills and taking on some extra responsibility, which, in fact, can prepare them for, in the future, uh, whatever promotion uh, or other opportunities they may get. So define who's owning it. Um, I'm a real believer in (laughs) plan A, plan B. Uh, And so for every person you define, also define in terms of overseeing that given project, also identify who's their backup. And the reason why is life happens. You don't know what's going to happen for the person who you have assigned something to. They may leave the organization. You know, they may have something in their personal life come up that requires them to take a larger chunk of time off. So having a plan B, a, a designated person, Uh, as a backup identified allows things to go forward. And I think a great way to think about it is that if you've ever gone to the theater or the opera or the ballet uh, or any dance performance, there's a reason they have understudies and backups because singers get sick and dancers get injured and things happen. And so if you don't have a backup, then they'd have to close the show. So if you can look at it by, from the perspective of having, in a way, an understudy for whoever you've de- designated, and they too are included in whatever planning for this transition, then in fact, you're well covered.
0: So I've got my list of projects. I've got my stand in. I've got their backups. Now what?
1: So, one of the things that happens, and we often hear about it after the fact, is the concept of somebody saying, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And mm-hmm. so when we're talking about the actual transition planning, it's not simply about having, having designated the person, a person or persons, right, a primary and a secondary. It is about actually sitting down with them and making sure that they are first willing to take this on, that they're comfortable to take it on, and that as you go through the planning, transition planning, that they are clear every step of the way. I think all too often where where planning goes awry, and especially collaboration goes awry, is people make very uh, unsecured assumptions about, A person's commitment. And so they're throwing the ball into their court and they're just expecting them to run with it, but they've not, the other person hasn't yet committed. Well, unless you're clear about that, assume that in fact they haven't committed. So it's really about asking that question Do they have the time? You know, are they willing to make this commitment? Talking about what in fact is going to be involved. And even getting them to sign off, and I know that seems a bit formal, but what it does is it ups the ante for them about truly honoring the commitment that they're making to you and to the organization.
0: That way you don't end up with someone saying, well, sure, you put my name there, but I never said yes. Right.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then everybody looks bad.
0: Ah, oh, okay, so then everyone in our hypothetical has signed off. Everyone
1: understands. is that it? Are we done? Yeah, no, not quite. <laughs> so uh, uh, so then what you wanna do is you really wanna communicate the plan broadly and and by broadly, this means, you know, one sharing it with everyone. You've gotta have something in writing. Right? It's not, it cannot be only verbal. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see both leaders and non-leaders make is everything is done in verbal, in a verbal format or, or on Slack. This, these are not the kinds of things to be done in that way. You need to have them in a Google Doc or in an email, you know, with a document attached or very clearly laid out. But you really want to make sure that everybody that's involved, is aware, who's going to be involved, is aware of exactly what's going to transpire. And so um, once you have that done, where you've, you know, that your department knows exactly, let's say, who's covering what and who's the plan, who's the backup and what the steps are. One of your last steps is, in fact, to meet with your boss and to make sure that they are completely clued in on the plan and that there is space for them even to make some adjustments. So, you know, you don't know perhaps what your boss has, in fact, envisioned for one of the people you've assigned um, uh, or who has uh, opted to support you while you're on leave. It's really about making sure... Um, you get their buy-in as well. And the reason why is that way, the person who is responsible for covering for you isn't put in a difficult position when you're gone of, do I follow through on what my boss is the boss is telling me or do I follow through on this assignment that I've committed to? I can't do both, right? So this is a way for you to clear the path with your boss um, for... Uh, the work going forward and that way everybody's on the same page.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. This has been fantastic chatting with you. I'm so honored to have you on the program and think there's something that you wanted to mention for listeners of fourth trimester podcast.
1: Yes. So for fourth trimester podcast listeners, I'm running a, a special just for you and that is if you'd like to try out coaching if you'd like to in fact have some support in putting together your leave and uh and your reentry plan or if you want to work on how to create greater life work integration when you've come back from maternity leave i'm offering a special of uh, four 60-minute coaching sessions for the price of 3 Sarah will have an email in the show notes and you can just send me an email and just put the words forth and we'll set up a time to chat beforehand and see if there's a fit and and how I can serve you. And if you'd like to go forward with that, then You'll get four 60 minute coaching sessions one on one with me for the price of three.
0: Fantastic. And I think you said you're also open to having a quick chat with someone first before they make any commitment.
1: Absolutely. We'll do a quick, you know, 30, 45 minute chat. Absolutely.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you again, listeners. Please tune in next time for the Fourth Trimester podcast. Don't forget to look at our website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter, like us on Facebook, and we'll see you again next time.
1: I sing a song for you
0: Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing the best that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I sing a song for you